Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you little gems that are my listeners. I hope your Wednesday is doing fantastically because I have a treat for you. I'm narrating today part one of the Demon Tobit of Delphia. I think the word Tobit means father or grandfather. So the Demon Father of Delphia, written by K. Banning Kellum. Right now, I'm drinking a beautiful black tea and cooked a lovely set of spare ribs. I feel like I'm becoming Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation as the years go by. If you haven't seen the TV series, I really recommend it. Bloody hilarious. Now, today is also a special day because I have a new white tea warlord. Please, raise your teacups or mugs and welcome the newest member of this Earl Grey army, Solstra. S-O-L-S-T-R-A, an absolutely lovely name. Mate, thank you so much for donating to my Patreon. And like every single supporter here, you're helping the show grow and get access to better tools to play with. You'll hear in this episode where your money went in some of these audio filters that I used. Thank you so much. You totally brightened up my morning today. Now, onto my legendary and lovely Ode Night Tea Titans. Matthew J. Bauer, the Sea Soul Master. Stay away from the waters at night. Do you hear them lapping on the shore? Do you hear the twisting, the curling of currents, of limbs, and shifting sand beneath your feet? The Sea Soul, a creature dominated by an ancient Bauer code, created eons ago, a creature of limitless physical power, and one at the command of M. Bauer, the Creature Collector. Be wary of your walks into the night. It just might be your last. Maya the Numerologist. Some have said in the past that she was crazy, and they'd be wrong. So wrong that they would disregard her advice. The occult information engraved on the walls, the numbers that spoke volumes and doomed them all. Ten entered that sunken cave, and only one walked out. Killed not due to spite or revenge, but simply because they did not listen. Maya is not dangerous per se. Her knowledge, if wielded without careful aim, however, is. And she is nothing short of a master. Mates, both of you are always at the front line of my support. For that, I am eternally grateful. I've already used your donations to implement a subtle static effect in today's episode. So I hope you like it. And there are many more filters on the way thanks to you. Cheers, you living legends. And my white tea warlords. I own cows that are cultists bovinist. If you need to know how to skin a rabbit, you go to a hunter. If you want to buy some meat, you go to a butcher. If you want to know everything there is to know about the mystical properties and occultist rituals surrounding bovines and wildebeest, I own cows, the occultist bovinist is the specialist for you. They say that he once raised a child from the dead with nothing but a slaughtered cow's hoof. Albeit the child could only moo, it was an amazing feat nonetheless. Lee Bauer, the touched. They sent him in to solve a murder on a ship, and they said he wasn't seen for months. But when he was, he wasn't the same. 
He came back different, found staring into the ship harbour with glowing eyes. Little do they know how changed he has become. He would go missing for days and surfacing for only weeks at a time. The people, they talk, but they know not what comes for them. Lee Bauer does. And Solstra, priestess of the night, the predictor of futures, and shifter of the sand of time. Solstra is praised almost as a deity in her own right, using the power of nature to alter ships' courses into passing or crashing amongst the rocks. It's her power and her knowledge of the occult that has allowed her to peer into the abyss of the sea and come out unscathed, with secrets that others would die for, secrets that she'll forever cherish. Thank all of you for your support. I can't wait to bring awesome plugins into my setup to enhance this podcast, and your donations are helping immensely. All of you put a smile on my face every day. And my Elgrand forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher, and Tasha Moncrief. At the risk of lengthening this introduction too far, I want to put my iTunes thank yous at the end of this episode. I'll never forget those that support the podcast, so I'll make sure they're included in today's episode for sure. Thank you all again for supporting me. If you're listening out there and want to help me grow, visit my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT and check out the rewards I give out. Now turn up the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something creepy. Dreams of cold places. I was standing in a frozen wasteland. Nothing more white for miles around me. Snow, ice, freezing winds. But most of all, complete and utter isolation. I stood in one place and turned in a circle, looking everywhere for signs of life. Nothing. Nothing at all. Suddenly, I see something in the distance, a small red and black, slightly human shape, and it's moving towards me with fierce speed. As it closes in, I see its head, a horrid, blood-red goat head with three eyes, two in the normal spots and one dead center in its forehead. It is screaming in a horrid, high-buzzing pitch. I try to run but cannot move. It reaches me pounces on me and begins to strangle me. In its terrifying, buzzing voice, it whispers over and over again, Delphia, Delphia, Delphia. (gasps) I awoke with a gasp. After a moment or two, reality sets back in. I am in my bedroom. I am in New Orleans safe. I looked out my window and saw the cityscape pressed against the night sky. The high-rise buildings with their lights, the noise of the traffic on the street below, even the muffled conversation of my neighbor talking on his phone. It brought reality back to me in a crash. I was home and safe, that white frozen nightmare, just a dream. The image of the red and black goat thing, though, that stuck with me for a while. Eventually. Sleep found me again.
Plans and mistakes. Two weeks later, I was sitting at a street cafe with my friend Sergio. Sergio's father owned a yacht, and since our first day of college together, Sergio and I spoke non-stop about taking that yacht out onto open waters, sailing from the Gulf of Mexico down the coast of South America and then back again. So, is your dad really going to go for it, Serge? Yep, we graduated on time with the right GPA. That was his end of the deal. I asked him last night, and after he studied over my transcripts for about an hour, he agreed that we could take the boat out for a cruise. This was going to be a defining moment, right after college, but before going into the workforce, our last chance to be crazy kids, before settling down into a lifetime of pushing papers and being adults. We pulled out our map and began to plot our course again for the millionth time. The boat was docked in Biloxi, MS. We would leave there and just sail south. We had enough supplies locked down to make the trip a breeze. We had all the right port cities marked off to stop at and party. This was going to be an amazing journey. We both stocked up on personal items. I brought my portable gaming devices and plenty of batteries. Of course, we both had our cameras. Serge was more of a reader and he stocked up on large novels and other books. Most were just the standard Stephen King type books. However, one he had to go to a special bookstore in the French Quarter called Esoterica and Order. I only saw the book once before we set sail. It was a paperback. Nothing fancy. However, it had no title, no author, nothing on the spine. I asked him what it was for and he responded that it was his. For the journey. He wouldn't go any further about it, and honestly, I really didn't care. The only thing on my mind at that time was setting sail. Three days later, we were sitting at a Starbucks in downtown Biloxi, waiting on the call from the marina. Serge's dad had hired a professional crew to ensure that every inch of the boat was in top-notch condition. Serge was being strangely quiet for once. He was writing numbers on his napkin. I asked him what was up and he just shrugged, told me he was thinking and promptly tossed the napkin in the trash. Shortly afterwards, we received a call from the dock crew, telling us that our yacht was all set. all set. We had left our cars in a paylop for safekeeping in Biloxi, and would pick them up in about five weeks, when the round trip was complete. Upon arrival at the marina, we loaded up our personal belongings, conducted a quick safety brief with the dock crew, Checked our essentials one last time, and finally, after four years of waiting and talking, we set sail. To tell you a little about this yacht, it was pretty much our floating house. Needless to say, Serge's dad was rich. We both had private bedrooms on this boat. It had a fully functional kitchen, a 62-inch television with a mounted satellite for all the channels, all the gaming consoles on the market, tons of food, and a respectable amount of emergency supplies. We had dried rations similar to military MREs and enough water to drown a whale. Journey to Damnation The start of the journey was everything I had been hoping for. We took turns at the wheel, pretending that we were the captain of some great expedition. We drank too much when the sun began to set and spent the evening laughing and telling stories like kids at a sleepover. We sailed south and stopped at several port cities in Mexico. We ate good food, met exotic women, and really thought that we were the men of the world. We hit Brazil next, 
stopping in a couple of spots to refuel and resupply. This would be our last stop for a few days until we planned to stop over in Uruguay. Brazil was fun. I ended up meeting a woman and spent the night in some seedy motel. Sergio returned to the yacht, saying that he wanted some time to himself. I, time to myself. I thought nothing of it. That was when I believed the trouble started. The next morning I returned to the boat, ready to set sail south again. When I entered the main cabin, a strange smell hit me. Something had been burned in here. Maybe a candle? I wasn't able to tell. I noticed Sergio stowing his mystery book in his footlocker. He said that he was ready to go, so away we went. The trip between Brazil and Uruguay was strange. Serge barely spoke to me. I was starting to wonder if I had done something to offend him. This was out of character for him to be so quiet. One night, over dinner, I decided to try and break the silence. Serge, are you good, man? I asked. I am. He replied. It's just that you haven't said much. Were you trying to score with that chick in Brazil? Did I step on your game, bro? I asked, trying to break the mood with levity. No man, she was all yours. He grunted. Okay, just stop being so damn quiet. It's weird to be out here on the open waters with you acting like a deaf mute. He grunted some quick response and went no further. He tossed his meal and walked back to his cabin. This was getting on my nerves, all this way from home, and stuck with a guy who was having an emo moment all of a sudden. <sighs> Once we made it to port in Uruguay, I made it my mission to get him out of his shell. Honestly, I felt I had to do something. He hadn't been sleeping much, he wasn't eating much either. His silent act wasn't improving, he was slowly becoming more and more reclusive each day. I thought perhaps he was homesick or maybe even experiencing cabin fever. The port city in Uruguay was alive with activity. There was a cruise ship dock there with folks from the United States, and a few of us became quick friends over drinks. I thought that this would be a nice touch of home for Sergio, however, when I invited him out with us, he declined. Once again, it seemed I would have to get supplies and go out without my friend from home. I was annoyed, and after downing a couple of stiff drinks at the port restaurant, I decided I was going to call him out on his attitude. He was either going to lighten up and start having fun, or I was going to turn the boat around here and sail back to Biloxi, cutting the trip in half. That would be better than spending another few weeks with a pretend deaf mute that hid out in his cabin all day. I stormed back to the boat, full of liquid courage. When I entered the main cabin, it was empty. Perhaps he had gone into town anyway. I cracked open the door to his cabin though and saw him sleeping. Be careful, Serge. Don't have too much fucking fun on this trip. I whispered in a harsh voice before shutting his door. This is when I noticed his footlocker was open slightly. I was bored and I was angry, so I didn't think twice about invading his privacy. Opening the locker, I saw that most of his dried foods were untouched. His paperbacks that had been brought to read were still in perfect, unopened condition. All except one, that is. 
that weird black book he brought from the occult gift shop in the French Quarter. I could tell, just by looking at the front cover, that he had been using it a lot. I had to know what was going on in there. Opening the book, I saw that all the pages had originally been blank, like a journal. However, Serge had been a busy boy, and most of the pages were now covered in his handwriting. Most of it was just numbers. Upon further examination, I realized they were grid coordinates. Okay, nothing strange about that, really. We had been plotting grids for weeks before this trip. I almost put the book back when I saw a word scrawled over and over, mixed in with the grids. Delphia. Changing course. I knew that word from somewhere, but was having a hard time placing it. It was richly familiar to me, but only somewhere deep in the back of my mind. I was sitting there trying to place it when the book was suddenly snatched from my hand. Serge was awake. Messing with my shit? He asked with no humor. Yeah, dude, you've been acting like a fucking freak since we left for this trip. I'm tired of spending all my time in the ports alone, doing all the work, while you sit your ass in bed all day. I was gradually working up a temper and I knew I had to rope it in. Don't go through my stuff again, Derek. He replied again with no humor. What is going on with you, man? I asked him, trying to restore some civility. Stay out of my footlocker, Derek. Last warning. He said flatly, before slamming the locker and placing a padlock on it. After that, he began walking back towards his cabin. Okay, this trip is over. After we refuel in the Falklands, we're turning around and heading back north. I'm done with this. I stated firmly. He stopped and turned around. What he said next chilled me. Not because of what he said, but how he said it and the look on his face. No humor, no friendship. He addressed me like a stranger. Derek, don't fuck with me. This trip is over when it's over. Don't piss me off again. We sailed the rest of the way to the Falklands without a word between us. We arrived at port and as usual, I did all the work. I almost thought of leaving him there, just finding another way home. I could rent a ride back to Uruguay and just fly back to New Orleans. However, he was still one of my best friends. And whatever he was going through, I didn't want to just abandon him out here in a strange land. More fools, us. The next day, everything went wrong. We were supposed to continue south, sail around the Horn of South Africa and then resume north, stopping in Chile and then Peru. That never happened. I had fallen asleep, amazed when Sergio had agreed to captain the ship for a while. I have no idea how long I was out, but when I woke up, even within the confines of the cabin, I could feel the temperature had dropped quite a bit. I wandered out to the deck and was greeted by a harsh chill. Looking around, I could see no land for miles. We had been staying close enough to the coast of South America that you could almost always see the land during the day. This time, all I saw was blue, frigid water, 
for miles in all directions. Sergio was driving the boat. Where are we? I asked. We're almost there, Derek. He answered. Where? Chile? I responded. Delphia. He replied. That word again. I could almost place it. My mind was right there, but still, a gap prevented me from totally recalling what it meant. Where is that? I asked. It's the birthplace of all. He said with no emotion. What does that even mean? I was speaking with caution now. If Serge really was taking us off course, then perhaps he snapped. This was no quarter-life crisis. You'll see. I decided at that point that I didn't want to see. I really was done with this. I checked our GPS and sure enough, we were way off course from what I could tell. We were sailing away from South Africa towards Antarctica. What could he possibly want there? We had discussed this trip so many times and the one thing we were both adamant about was staying the course. After all, this was a luxury yacht, not an ocean liner. We weren't equipped to go that far. We had only brought minimal cold with the clothing, nothing thermal enough for Antarctica. With the way he was acting, I had no idea what he wanted to go there for anyway. Enough was enough. I am no tough guy by any stretch, but I walked up on him and tried to pull him off the wheel. Sergio turned to me first, holding his dad's pistol. I didn't even know we'd brought it. Back off, Derek. He commanded in a voice I didn't know he owned. Are you fucking serious? Are you really holding a gun on me? I shouted back at him. We aren't changing course, go back to the cabin. He replied again with no emotion. I decided to try and approach him anyway. He was one of my best friends, someone I had known since high school. Surely he wouldn't shoot me. However, no sooner did my leg begin to twitch in his direction than he fired a shot right next to me. I saw the bullet make a small splash in the water to my right. Last warning, return to the cabin. What could I do? Even if he shot me by accident out here, we were hundreds of miles from a hospital. All I could do at this point was wait and hope that he regained his senses before this went too far. I decided to go back below deck and give him some space. At some point I dozed off. I woke up some hours later, amazed that I had fallen asleep under such conditions. What I awoke to was worse than any nightmare my sleeping mind could have produced. The Ritual Sergio was still up top. I ventured carefully on deck, amazed at the sharp chill that had intensified during my nap. Serge was sitting on the deck, surrounded by candles, sitting in a strange symbol that he had drawn in chalk. He was chanting something. I couldn't make anything out except for the word Delphia. Oh, there it was again. He would chant a string of something in that strange language and then whisper, Delphia. I didn't see the gun. Still, I approached slowly. Serge, what's this all about? I asked carefully. We're almost there. He answered, smiling for the first time since Brazil. Delphia, the birthplace of all, 
I hope to see you at the ceremony of Hirak Tobit. I had no interest in his gibberish. Where's the gun? I asked. Here. He replied and raised it from behind his back. Will you give it to me? I inquired, trying my best to sound level, to not show the fear that was growing within me by the second. In a moment, I just wanted to thank you for being my friend. Maybe we can meet up in Delphia. Maybe you'll be invited to the ceremony. Look for the church, Derek. I opened my mouth to ask what he was talking about, but in that moment, Sergio, one of my closest friends, raised the pistol to his head. All hail Hirakobit! All hail Delphia, capital of creation! With those words, the gun fired, and Sergio's dead body slumped to one side. In the distance, I thought I saw light suddenly come aglow. However, my mind wasn't on that. My mind was on one of my best friends, whom I just witnessed commit suicide. The next few hours were a blur of confusion and terror. Sergio was dead. I moved his body down to his cabin and covered him up. I activated the emergency beacon on our GPS and attempted for hours to radio for help. It was no good though. We were too far out. As if this nightmare couldn't get worse, I also discovered that Sergio had tampered with the boat somehow. The engines were cold. Try as I might, I couldn't get them to power back up. I was adrift. I could only pray that someone would pick up the emergency signal and send help. In the meantime, I began to gather up all the cold weather clothing we had brought. The temperature was dropping as we were closing in on the coast of Antarctica. Worse, I had no way to stop the yacht from simply crashing into an iceberg and mooring on the shoreline itself. I wasn't prepared to handle this. All of our emergency plans had revolved around the idea of breaking down near the coast of South America. I didn't know if I should attempt dropping the anchor and remaining out here in the frozen sea or try to drift to land. I didn't know much about Antarctica, but I knew there were science stations that operated all year round around there. If I could find one of those, I could get help. I was freaking out and the panic was building to the point where I knew I was no good to myself. Serge had been prescribed Valium a few months back for his insomnia. I needed to calibrate. I dug around in his footlocker until I found the bottle. Thank God there were a few in there. I popped a Valium and hoped that it would ease my mind down. It hit me hard. Within the hour I dozed yet again. When I awoke, we had made a landfall. From what my GPS was telling me, we were on the shores of Antarctica. Sure enough, miles and miles of white tundra. I opened up Serge's book and began to compare the grids that he had jotted down. Seems like this was his plan all along. He was planning to bring us here from the start. The grids add up. Why though? The yacht wasn't going anywhere. It moored hard. I wouldn't have the means to tow it back out into the open waters. The only thing I could do was try to find a science station, which seemed ridiculous, considering how many thousands of miles there are out here, and seeing as I had no clue where any of the stations were. I tried to radio again. It was my only hope. Any station on this net? Any station on this net? My name is Derek Reynolds. I'm stranded on the shore. My friend and I were on a cruise from New Orleans, Louisiana, 
Our yacht is moored. If anyone reads this transmission, please send help. I honestly didn't expect any reply. I was just going through the motions. That is, until a voice replied over the net. Come to Bannister Church. The voice replied. Last calling station. Thank God. I thought I was dead here. Where's the church? I was expecting grids, but the raspy voice gave me some very simple directions. I never thought too much on how he knew where I was. I figured he must have me on his GPS. Walk north along the coast. Stay in sight of the coast. We are only a kilometer from you. Maybe less. Come quickly. I never questioned this. I assumed it was the science station. Although why they would direct me to a church was mind-boggling. The idea that there actually was a church on the shores of the icy tundra was even more amazing. However, when your life is hanging in the balance, you tend not to ask questions. You just survive. I packed a small backpack with essentials. I also brought Serge's gun. At the time, I was worried about animals or something on my way to this church. I also figured I could use it as a signal if I became too lost. I looked in on Serge one last time. Sorry this happened, Sergio. Whatever was happening in your head, I wish you had just told me. Asked for help. Something besides this. That was the closest thing to a eulogy I could produce under this stress. I carefully climbed off the boat and was now standing on the shores of Antarctica. I began to walk briskly north. The weather wasn't as harsh as I had expected. It was summertime, and I knew that had we landed here in the winter, it would probably be almost 80 degrees colder. I counted that as a blessing. I walked on for a ways, and finally, in the distance, I saw the small building, standing defiantly against the white background that is Antarctica. The church was tiny, certainly not inspired by Western architecture. It was a narrow building, barely one room from the looks of it. There was a sign at the front with arrows pointing in all directions. Probably someone's idea of a joke. I found the door to be unlocked. I entered. The inside was tiny, just two pews and a small altar. No one seemed to be here. Still, I called out. Hello? Hello? Anyone here? Perhaps there was a basement that I couldn't see. No answer, though. I looked around the tiny room, even checked up into the attic. Nothing up there. My biggest fear was that I had taken too long to get here, and whoever called me on the radio had left out. Wouldn't that be the best? Find a rescuer in the middle of nowhere, just to have them ditch you. As a last minute thought, I figured I would duck my head out of the back door of the church. Honestly, I saw no point, since I had seen the entire area around the church before I arrived. Yet maybe there was a small shed back there or a heating tent that I had simply missed. When I opened the back door, I almost fell over. What I saw was beyond imagination. I was in a city. Part 1 of 2 of the tale The Demon, Tobit of Delphia Author's Note The inspiration for the city of Delphia, Antarctica, came to me after reading the blog of Ralph Robert Moore. He wrote a fake travel guide for Antarctica and listed several cities. 
Mr. Moore presented Delphia as the most believable, before the examples became gradually more exaggerated. I remember being really intrigued by the idea of such a place. Of course, Mr. Moore's Delphia was written up as a pleasant city that welcomed visitors. My version of Delphia, well, let's just say that it's a lot less tourist-friendly. This story is the prequel to the Tobit series of works, and should be read as the first story in the series. Enjoy. Well, my little awesomes, did you enjoy the first part? I love how this story has such a strong HP Lovecraftian feel, but I mean, when someone mentions to you that the story is about cults, sacrifices, and portal cities into other worlds, I mean, the most pop culture relevant comparison would be HP Lovecraft. Hard to avoid, right? That said, I really enjoyed the author's character development arc on our main protagonist, and the gradual, smooth shift of sanity to insanity by his best friend. Gotta say, our main guy is super loyal, and really loves his friend. If your friend shot at you, and acted the way he did in this story, what would you do? I'd probably sneak some Valium into his liquids. I know, I know, it's terrible. But I can't think of any other way to sedate him without injuring myself or him. Then, when that's done, ditch the gun into the sea. Also, if it's a big yacht, it might have an inflatable raft. Might have been an option early on. What do you think? And now for my iTunes reviews. Three big ones. Wonderfully vast collection of short stories. The Telltale creates quality episodes at breakneck speed. The sheer volume of episodes may seem daunting at first, but start with the most recent one and work backwards. Like all short story podcasts, your enjoyment of each episode may vary, but at 500 episodes and counting, you'll find one that resonates with you and send chills down your spine. His performances are well done, and the sound production is spot on. He also performs user-submitted stories, and let me tell you, having had him perform one of my own, he does an amazing job of keeping true to the source material and bringing a story to life. A great podcast, mind-bending performances, and a welcoming community makes this podcast a favorite of mine. By Rue Sparks writes, Mate, I am blessed for this review. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate it, Rue. I'll be sure to do more of your stories in the future, mate. Awesome storyteller and much more. I am so happy I found this podcast. The storyteller has the amazing upbeat personality while telling the creepiest or weirdest stories. I love it. He is also so committed to his craft that I became a Patreon not very long after binging on him for 24 hours. Wow, you legend. He is consistently posting and hard at work. And his connection with his supporters is the best I have had an experience with. You can see that your support is going to make the podcast a better product, which I totally admire. I listen to horror or sci-fi podcasts from the time I wake, well actually while I sleep too lol. It keeps my head nice and quiet. And this is one that I highly recommend. By Pokemon Fan 12 Full. <laughs> I know who wrote this one, and thank you so much for your support. Taking the time to donate on Patreon and review on iTunes. Mate, you're awesome. And lastly, the Telteller equals 21st Century Vincent Price. Love this podcast. A huge fan of horror and old-time radio plays. I get a real kick out of the Telteller. He's in the mold of classic horror icons like Karloff and Vincent Price, with a dash of modern Russell Brand and Neil Gaiman comes to mind. The stories are varied with spooky sound effects and music, but not going overboard. Tongue-in-cheek humor, fun chills, 
and great production quality make for a terrific time. Also, no ads. Highly recommended by Treat Yourself Boo, awesome name. Thank you so much. And 20th Century Vincent Price, Daium, I am flattered. Thank you so much, mate. Now, I won't keep you from your next podcast. <laughs> Take it easy, and I'll have the second part of this episode up on Friday. As always, mates, till next we meet.